Three, two, one. It's the 17th of March, episode 10 on the Good Hope podcast. With me is my co-host Pedro Hipatelli from Portugal in Lisbon. And we have our guest today, Catherine Constantinidis. Catherine has so such an in-depth profile, but I'll try and keep it as brief as I can. So, so Catherine is a South African change agent, social entrepreneur, humanitarian, earth warrior, global activist, and leader of change. Welcome, Catherine. Welcome. It's so, Catherine, there's so, so much I can tell uh, our listeners about, but I'm just going to highlight a few on your profile uh, that came across very strongly to me. One was that you work as a human rights defender, actively engaging in Geneva at the Human Rights Council. Uh, number two, you work with the Sahara Saharawi refugee camp in North Africa. And uh, in November 2017, you were invited as a panelist to the Obama summit by President Obama. And you were also invited to Egypt by President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. Uh, wow, what amazing achievements. Can you tell us more about your journey and where did this all start from? You've got so much to tell us about, but start at the beginning. <laughs> the good place is the beginning. Let me try. Um, I, I grew up in a very humble home. We had very little growing up. But what I didn't realize was that we were so poor. And I didn't realize that because we grew up in a home where we were encouraged to dream as big as possible. We were encouraged to chase those dreams. And we grew up in a home where we were constantly, constantly just filled with inspiration, affirmation. We grew up in a home where service to others was our way of life. It was how I thought that everyone grew up. And so even though we had so little, I remember every weekend, certain nights in the week, we would spend that time in communities, doing community service, um, sitting with old people in old age homes, playing bingo on a Saturday afternoon. They loved my father. So I think that's why we were going. But um, I think doing that kind of community work from a young age really became the organic journey that my life would take. And it was those moments that I saw selfless humanity and and service to other human beings through my father and my mother that I didn't realize it at the time, but my life would be shaped by those very moments that would really be carved in my memory and would become the pillars on which my foundation would be built. Interesting. Interesting. So, to to be an activist, you have a focus. To have, you have like a priority, because uh, I, I see I see uh, opportunities in the global warming plus weather plus you know uh, climate. I see opportunities in raising Africa. Is there a topic that excites you more? That interests you more than others? You know, it's very difficult for me to say. I believe my life is almost cut up into three pieces. As an earth warrior and somebody who is a very passionate climate activist, I was planting trees long, long before uh, environmental issues even became something that were real and something that was a, a focus of attention. And I remember as a young girl being 15, 16 years old and asking people to, to support me in planting trees 
And they would look at me and I'm telling you, they thought that I fell out a tree and hit my head because why on earth do I want to plant a hundred trees here or a thousand trees there? And so for me, the understanding of a changing climate and an ever-changing earth that we were living on was something that was real. And it was something that lived inside of me. It was the conviction of understanding that really, really we have a crisis and we're looming on a catastrophic moment in, in time. But people really in South Africa thought that we have so many more important challenges. And as a, as a third world country, as a developing nation, we certainly do. We have social injustices that are absolutely inhumane. And so my life as, as, as a child, I was an activist without knowing it. Mm. I was somebody who was advocating for social justice in, in my spaces, even as a child. And so the realm of the environment and climate change, the realm of human rights and social justice, and the realm of citizenship. These are the three cornerstones of who I am. And I don't think I can give more prominence to one space or to the other. Mm -hmm. I've found ways to link these three spheres in a very, very powerful way where the reality is that we now live in a world where climate change is impacting on our human rights. Social justice issues are impacted by a changing, warming climate. And so all of these things really um, play into each other. And ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, who are we as citizens? Who are we as a global community? But more so, let's go to the basics. Who are we as a community on the street where we live? What mm. is it that we do on a daily basis to make the corner of the world where we are that much better. And so these three spaces have become who I am, what I do. And every time I'm asked to do something, I have to ask myself, does it fit into those spaces where I have molded my space in the world? And if the answer is yes, then it's something that I will work on. It's something that I will advocate for. And even if we look at business and we look at the corporate industry, my, my work in that space would be around sustainability. How do we make sure that we're building better business models? How do we make sure that we're building a world that can operate not only now, but in a hundred years time? Because we have to understand that sustainability at the core is enough for all forever. And when we look at business, business has the world operates on on exchange on economies and we need to make sure that when we're building business and we're building um industrial nations that we're cognizant of the fact that we rely on the the earth's natural resources as a fundamental basic and we have to do that in a respectful manner so that we are here in a hundred years time to be able to continue doing business but we're also leaving behind a world that can absolutely uh, allow generations that come after us to still thrive mm -hmm. you know, Catherine, one of the things that I, I think is interesting to understand is whether or not in africa there's an audience for activism I, w I was born in mozambique and i have business in africa in multiple countries and i'm regularly in africa I was born in Africa, of course. and But uh, one of the things I see is that the two main topics in Africa, almost with everyone I talk with, is number one, money. Second, is power. This is, you know, uh, people want to be influential, to be powerful, to be respected, and, they, and to have money. So topics that outside of this, for example, culture, 
I talk with with almost anyone coming from Africa about science, and and you know the eyes would glaze immediately if you start talking about the space, about science, about culture. People disconnect. So what's uh, what's your experience? People listen to what you say. I, I think you. I think you are, you hit the nail on the head in the sense that I don't actually even think that this is something just in Africa, but there are many other parts of the world where I work, but money and power are, are absolutely at the, at the pinnacle point of everyone's mindset. Every discussion must link to, to power and money. It must link to um, how, do, how do I get, how do I advance myself? How do I make sure that what I do is going to make me more powerful? Is it going to make me more money? So this is really very uh, a very reflective statement of where we are at from a global mindset. But I would have to challenge that there are pockets. And because I work in many parts of the continent, there are pockets of excellence where science and maths are focused on. There are areas, for example, I think of Kenya and I think of the advancements in technology uh, that come out of Kenya specifically. And there, it's not just about power or money. There it really is about how do we use the power of technology to move us forward, to leapfrog us into a different era? How do we sell that technology to the Western world and make sure that as as Africans, we're able to, to become the blueprint of success? Yes. And so... I think that it's really important to understand that, yes, the general feel is that we need money and power. And perhaps it's that way because the media is framed in a manner where money and power is all we talk about. We talk mm -hmm. about leaders, uh, the race for leadership across the continent, especially in Africa, where the race for leadership still sits with an elite few at the top. And unfortunately, that elite few that sit at the top are most probably all over 65 years of age. And the hold to power is, is really orchestrated in such a way that the media plays into that narrative, that we're constantly focused on uh, the attention for power, the fight for power. Um, we look at so many of the most recent elections that have happened on the continent and how those elections have been rigged, how the same people that were in power 20 years mm -hmm. ago are in power again and will be in power for the next 20 years because they've also changed the frameworks in order to ensure that they continue to hold on to that power. And so power and money becomes all that we think about as a continent, all that the general people um, are, are fed with via the media. But I go back to the fact that working on the ground at a really grassroots level, you come to realize that there are pockets of excellence when it comes to science, technology, maths. You come to understand that there are people who are inspired to not only be entrepreneurs, but to build entrepreneurship into the fabric of their community and their society. And I think those are the things that we also have to focus on. So yes, while the conversations and the mentality really is about the hunger, the hunger for power and and money and uh, political um, influence as well. These things really are at play because of the kind of 
media networks that exist on the continent. And I think that is something that we have to be very critical of. And sometimes we really have to scratch at the surface of what we what we are fed through the media to really understand the stories that are really taking place. Also, sometimes the media are there to divert us from the reality of what is mm. going on on the ground. And uh, again, um, power, politics and money really do still plague the continent. And it's something we have to be so conscious of in order for us not to lose the continent uh, while we're fighting for power and money. And I say it's something we must make sure that we don't lose the continent. Hello. I'm here. I don't know. We're having some issues. Yeah, internet seems to I think some powerful guys just just cut off Catherine's internet. But <laughs> <laughs> I think she's dialing back in. I broke, hey. your, I broke your video. No, I think it was some powerful guy, some powerful guy <laughs> that said, you know, I'm not tolerating this and then shut it down. <laughs> some powerful businessman, <laughs> some politician. <laughs> Enough yeah, is enough. <laughs> this group, this Greek woman has to I've go. I've got to be careful what I say. <laughs> but just lastly, I, I just want to say that we <laughs> we really have to be careful because if you look at different parts of the continent, Mozambique as an example, Zambia as an example. If we look at the fabric of these economies, the economies are no longer run and owned by Mozambicans or Zambians. Oh, if you no. look at if you look at um, the uh, the industry in um, in Zambia, most of the mines there are no longer owned by Zambians. Hmm. So I say that we have to be careful of just focusing on the power, the politics, the money, because we're going to lose our continent to ourselves. And we're going to cut ourselves short of the opportunity to really become a global player uh, when it comes to um, economies of power. And I really fear that unfortunately, so much focus is on the elite few who hold power at the top, and we become numb to everything that happens around us. And we then lose focus of who we are and where we should be going. Also, because to be a player in the, in the global stage, I think money and power at the country level is not enough. As an example, if I ask you who is the richest person in Portugal, none of you can reply to this question. But all of you have heard about Mozart or about Isaac Newton or, no. or about this Greta girl that fights for the environment. Because it's things that impact humanity. Yeah? So just accumulating a bigger house, more money, it's not enough to, to, be, to be relevant in the, in the global stage. I always say this, even the president of Portugal, if he goes stand on, on the Fifth Avenue in New York, will take 30 minutes for anyone to recognize him. Uh, is not influential enough because the global topic is not Portugal. It's things that impact yes. the whole humanity. And, and for that, for that, we need to have teachers that have prestige, scientists that are as recognized as footballers. And uh, because if we if we don't put social uh, recognition in these topics of science and of culture, they will never be relevant. Because people will still prefer to be a singer, for example, or, or I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
another thing that I'm curious about. You said that you, you come from a humble family. How do you fund this? <laughs> Because even to be an activist, you know, it costs money somehow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I imagine you have to eat. So, uh, practical question. How does an activist push forward? With great difficulty. I can assure you. <laughs> this, is, this is an important question because unfortunately in the world that I work in, in the space that I work, I'm torn because on the one side of it, I, I go to bed every night and I know that I've truly lived. I know that I've truly given back to the world in my small way every single day. Be it having built shacks on one day tomorrow we go and we are feeding 800 people be it that we have gone and we've greened an under green community somewhere by planting 20 trees or educating a classroom of children on how to how to purify water whatever it might be i can go to bed at night and i can knowing that i have really done something to mm. impact the corner of the world where i am but When it comes to the end of the month, I cannot take those good deeds and take them to city power to pay my electricity. That's I it. cannot take them to uh, to pay the different bills that I have. I wish I could, but I can't. I also can't trade that to put food on the table for my family. And so I live in a very difficult space where the reality is that I've made a choice to do the work that I do which also means that I have to do a hundred other things on a constant basis in order to make sure that I've got liquidity to be able to pay for food on the table, to put my child through decent education, to make sure I can pay for my mother's medical bills, to make sure that I can put petrol in my car to get to where I need to get. These are the practicalities of it. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you do because you're passionate about it. At the end of the day, um, life and the world doesn't work on on that principle and so i find myself having to ensure that i uh, the one thing I've, i've come to learn is that i speak a lot and i speak relatively well or at least you've I taken over my so job normally that. i'm the one that's talking a lot <laughs> <laughs> so you know speaking um speaking to people and being asked to speak to corporates and to engage corporates or to run workshops or to to consult on certain certain strategies marketing branding csi uh, the climate crisis looking at sustainability all these kinds of things are part of the work that i do and so where i can uh, where i can try and get paid work in order to do that kind of work that then allows me to also do the other work that I do, but it's difficult. It's a really, really difficult journey. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to do, to find a balance. And there are some months where you come unstuck and you think to yourself, how on earth am I going to pay the bills? But I'm then reminded when I look at the eyes of a child who is waiting for me every Thursday to go to a community, I'm reminded that my journey is one where I'm blessed to be able to be a blessing to others. I'm blessed to be able to be in spaces where I can give people hope by simply just showing up and giving everything of me to them. And unfortunately, there's no paycheck that can equate to that. There's no, um, you know, no amount of money that can 
can give you the satisfaction that giving of your time and yourself to another human being really can do. And the work that I do is is hard. I see things that sometimes I can't sleep at night because I've been exposed to situations or brutalities or violence um, that no human being should ever go through, let alone me on the other end of the spectrum, just learning about those things and seeing it from an outside perspective. But it is those moments where I see the... We lost audio. Oh, we lost audio. You're muted. You're muted. <laughs> Catherine. You're muted. And there are people okay. that are just... But there are few people that actually understand the situation on the ground in any given context, be it here in South Africa, be it the context of our continent, be it even in the global context where I've been privileged to, to work in war-torn countries. I've been privileged to be able to engage with heads of state. But with that privilege comes a great responsibility. And so in order to do the work that I do, I had to find innovative ways to make money on the side, kind of as my hustle, just so that I can pay the bill. Of course. And it's an emotionally draining thing to do constantly, but it's the choice that I make as an individual and as someone who is an activist and who's somebody, somebody who believes that every good deed does indeed change the world. And that... You're muted. Let me put my... Wait, we can't hear you, Catherine. We can't hear you. Catherine? You're muted. Yeah, okay. Sorry, your voice went off. <laughs> somehow you, you turned yourself... You muted yourself somehow. Somebody muted me. <laughs> somehow you were muted. Okay, I'll stop talking. No, you got to rewind two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it was clear anyhow. The question there, yeah, I, I think there is a, I have to say, in my own perspective, uh, the fact that there is a sacrifice involved makes you more credible. Because if you were just, you know, uh, the daughter of a millionaire or the wife of a millionaire and you say, you know what, I'm bored, you know, enough, enough swimming pool, enough spa and i just you know now i'm going to take two friends to take care of of the poor that would be okay still valid still valid but uh when there is a sacrifice involved then we know it's real then then we know there's a commitment so that's why i made this question about how do you fund it because i think it makes a difference Thank you. I think it Thank makes you. I think it makes a difference. It also, does make a difference. And what what is sometimes what is sometimes difficult is that you know um, I use I use social media to share the stories of where I am, what I'm doing, to create awareness and to create a consciousness for people, to for people to understand that you know I know that sometimes I will walk into a room, be it a boardroom, or I'll walk into a community. And people will perceive me in so, some way because they put me in a box. I look a certain way. I've got blonde hair. Blondes are really given a hard time. <laughs> but you're perceived in a certain way. And so before I've even started, I have to prove myself. Mm -hmm. But for me, therein lies the greatest, the greatest appreciation because I challenge people to, to really – Uh, assume something else of me. I challenge them to do that because I know the things that I've done, 
the work that I have done, the foundation um, of a life of service that comes with great sacrifice and great struggle is one that no one can take away from me. And not only is the sacrifice a monetary and a challenge on a monthly basis where you never know if you're going to make enough money, if you're going to make ends meet, if you're going to pay all your, your bills. But I know why. I know what my why is. I know every single day mm. what I'm what I'm called to do. And you dig deep inside of yourself to find that kind of courage and bravery to do that every single day. Yes. And I think that, you know, people also don't realize the kind of work that I've done, especially the human rights work, with that comes an immense security risk. And so you carry that on your shoulders. You People will see you in a certain way. They may see you on social media. They might see you on, in a magazine or read about you or listen to you on the radio, whatever it might be. But what they don't realize is that to live a life of service is one of great, not only great courage, but it takes great risk. And that is something that you have to remind yourself of on a daily basis. I'm also a single mother and my greatest challenge is balancing how do you how do you make sure that you are able to do everything that your family, your child needs, your parents need? How do you make sure you do all of that, but also answer to the questions that your soul asks of you on a constant basis? Because at night, the only person I go to bed with is my own conscience. I have to be comfortable with the choices I've made and the decisions I've made on a daily basis. And I think that that's something that sometimes people don't understand. I think, I think the, the tough challenge there, at, uh, as I see it, what would make me stay awake at night? Uh, because this, this also happens to entrepreneurs. This also happens to entrepreneurs. Uh, is um, yes. we, can decide, we can decide to make sacrifices, our own personal sacrifices. And you see religion, religious people doing sacrifices in name of religion. We see entrepreneurs sacrificing years of their life to try to build a company, even if they are losing money. You see people sacrificing themselves. And I somehow I sacrifice myself also. But the line starts when, because of our mission, we start sacrificing others. You, you, I, I think what, what, what can make me lose sleep is whether or not this, going after this mission is sacrificing my kids because the kids do, do not uh, necessarily subscribe the mission they are uh, dragged to the mission we as adults you know we can decide this mission is bigger than myself and so i'm going to sacrifice myself to pursue this but while we do this we drag others that really didn't decide but it's part of the package, uh, Pedro. I think it's part of the package. You can't be passionate and sacrifice uh, and separate uh, the sacrifice. So I'm also being, being an entrepreneur. The day of my engagement to my wife to get married, the day of my engagement, I landed from India from a business trip. Uh, I miss birthday parties, anniversaries. You, have, you can't choose to be uh, you know, committed to a cause and then still tick all the boxes on the other side. That is what sets you apart. Catherine, I, I, I'm going to add a few things, if you, if you don't mind. In 2015, you were named one of South Africa's 21 icons 
of a campaign highlighted remarkable young South Africans who will move the country. Uh, we'd want to hear more about that. And then there's a second part. In 2018, he was ranked as one of the top 100 most influential young South Africans. Uh, you were placed 10, top 10 in your category in social entrepreneur. Uh, in 2020, you were named as one of the 80 most influential South Africans by generational wealth education. Tell us more about this. It's amazing. Three different or three or four different accolades. You, you know, Mohammed, um, I think that I'm really always humbled and, and always taken aback by by these kinds of accolades because the work that I do, I, I don't do to to receive this kind of um, uh, platform response or, or uh, accolades, uh, for lack of another word. And I'm always so humbled by them because you kind of have your head down and you're motoring to get what you need to get done done. You are working towards a goal. And what we don't always realize is with the sacrifice that we've spoken of, uh, with with the immense challenges that we're faced with on a daily basis, we sometimes are in a silo and we're continuing to do our thing and we work towards our goal. But what we don't realize, and the special thing is, that people are watching our hustle. People are constantly inspired by what we do. And that's because we're staying in our lane, we're focused, we're determined, yeah. and we just keep pushing forward. Focus and is critical. And I think critical. that that for me yeah. is always a lesson. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Because if, if, you, if, if you change courses, you know, you lose power. It's the focus that, that inspires others and drag others as a sign of leadership, let's say. Mm -hmm. you, you have specific examples that shocked you so much that somehow are printed on your on, on your memories and you say you know after i saw this i won't stop anything that is shocking enough to to move people if they had witnessed what you saw um in in my work as an activist yeah because I imagine that some, one thing is to have, you okay. know, so scientific in, proof in that there is global warming. The other thing is to see, you know, a life of a person being impacted by these problems. So if I understand your question correctly, if I have to think back at my life, I can remember certain moments. I remember yes. being a, a young, young child and being in the car with my father and it was freezing cold. We were in Johannesburg, it was the middle of winter, and I was with my father in the car, it was my sister, myself, and my father. And I remember us stopping at a robot. And at that robot, there was a man who only had a shirt, a t-shirt, was so cold. And I remember my father taking off his jacket and opening the window and giving his jacket to this man. The reason it was significant is was my father only had one jacket and he gave this man his jacket and he, we questioned him and we said, well, why did you give the only jacket that you have? Why did you give it to that man? And he said to us that, you know, uh, that is what he could do for this man. He's going to go home and we're going to sleep in a house, but this man will sleep on the street. I remember that moment. I remember growing up and I was probably about 15 or 16 and I worked in a rural community with my parents. And I remember watching a woman rot of AIDS. And wow. I use those words very deliberately because that's exactly what happened. She literally rotted to death of AIDS. She had no access to medical 
um, medi a medical facility or clinic. She had no antiretroviral drugs. So she literally rotted to death from a, a uh, terrible, terrible disease that really ravaged so many lives in our country. She had two little children that I remember outside of her shack were making food on a fire. Those children were both under probably four or five years old, but they were looking after each other and they were looking after this, this mother that was inside a one-room shack in the darkness. I then think of the work that I did in Cambodia, working with children who were begging on the border. And they were so poor that they, they ran around the border naked. They didn't even have underwear because they did not have underwear. And you would find a, a five-year-old carrying a two-year-old child, and they would just beg for $1 a day. And so those moments are truly ingrained in my memory. I think of my more recent history in the last eight years where I've worked with the Saharawi people of Western Sahara, and I work with political prisoners. I work, of, uh, I work with women specifically and, and men, but women who have been tortured. They're victims of torture in this day and age. Wow. I work with women who for 12 years at a time were victims of torture locked away uh, one woman specifically, every single day she was hung by her hair and hung on a line, and then she was tortured. Why Hanging is that? her by her hair was not the torture. I've worked with, why, I've worked why, why, with why women was she who tortured? have seen their children scream. She was tortured by the Moroccan government in order to show a strength and a power. Uh, the Moroccan regime has been... Um, colonizing and occupying Western Sahara for the past 45 years and has done so because of natural resources. Wow. And I work with these people and I'm moved by the fact that she, these women continue to be freedom fighters. They still get up every day after a life of torture and they try to find a way to, to continue. They try to find a way to still fight for their people to still fight for the life that they have in them. I was privileged to befriend a man who was much older than me and um, he, he became very close to me. He was a political prisoner in our own country. His name was Ahmed Katrada. And Ahmed Katrada, he always used to ask me to call him Kathy because I would like to call him Uncle Kathy and he said it made him uncomfortable, it made him feel very old. But he was. <laughs> but I remember and I think of Uncle Kathy at this point in time because in a few days' time we will mark the anniversary of his passing. But I constantly remember every single morning at five o'clock we would speak every single day. And he would remind me that that would be the time of the morning that they would be forced to shower, that they would have cold showers, mm. that you know, he shared with me the pain and the struggle of being on Robben Island, the prison that became his life. And yet, the power of the human spirit continues to move people forward. And it's these moments that are etched in my memory constantly and remind me, who am I to give up? Who am I not to be brave to continue mm. fighting for the causes that I hold dear to me? Very interesting. Do you think that the I can carry on, but I think I'll leave it there. No, it's, it's very, it's very powerful examples. Do you think that being an activist, you are a politician? 
absolutely not. And there's certainly a difference. And it's something that I've struggled with as well. And I'll share with you why. I think five years ago, if you asked me if I was going to go into politics, absolutely. I believe that yeah. as an activist, you will always come face to face with the same door. So it doesn't matter what kind of activist you are. If you're fighting against crime, if you're fighting against gender-based violence, climate change, social justice, as an activist, you always will be you will always hit the same door. And that metal door is the door where government and politics rests. On the other side of that door is the ability to change policy. Mm. And I understand that. And I understand that as an activist you can only do so much. But as an activist you are not a politician. I think and I think that the two are completely different. I, I think that at least the word or the spirit of activism, you can uh, stay more pure, let's say. Because, you know, uh, in politics, you'll more, have more to... More true to your, yeah, to your purpose. The, because politics will, 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 will be maybe more practical, but will demand compromises to move forward. And as an activist, you say, you know what, this is what I see, this is what I think. If you don't like it, you don't like it, I don't care. Somehow you are free. Somehow, as long, as long as you accept the price, as long as you accept the price, you are free. And the, the, the freedom is something amazing. Yeah? As long as you say, you know what, I have my own mechanisms, I have my own solutions, and these solutions buy me freedom, then you become powerful. Yeah. Pedro, you know, it's such an important point because there is a certain power in, in that. So as yeah. an activist, as an independent person who is not answerable to a political party or to a constituency, there's a certain power in the freedom you have outside of a bureaucratic system. But... There's a but, and I have to say this and share this. You also come to realize that sometimes you have to be inside of the system in order to change it. Mm -hmm. Because there's only so much pressure that you can put on the system from the outside. And in a country like South Africa, and I think this is true for many countries around the world, but in South Africa, I've come to realize that we need good people to step up to the plate of leadership. We need good people who are passionate about change, not about a political career, but people who are leaders in their field, who come with expertise, mm. people who are prepared to sacrifice and say, I want to move my country forward. I come with a business background or I come with um, a medical history or uh, sorry, a medical background rather. I want to give that expertise to build this country, to move, to move the needle of Africa forward. And so, Will I, will I ever go into politics? I can't say no, because one day I certainly will have to step up to that plate and will have to say, okay, enough is enough. Now I need to be the leader that I constantly fight for in my country. But mm, that time for me is not yet now. Mm -hmm. I have to still do a great amount of work on the ground. At, and, and one day I will, you know, as a little girl, And Mohammed asked me this earlier, and maybe this is an important thing to share. As a little girl, if you asked me what I wanted to become, I would have told you I'm going to be the president of South Africa. <laughs> When I finished school, I did what I was always going to do, and that was to study law and politics. 
However, my journey was not exactly what I had hoped for. Coming from the home that I came from and coming from a, a family where my father became very, very ill when I was young and I had to start to look after him, I also then became responsible for my siblings. And going to university was a privilege for me, but I went to university on a bursary. And in my second year of university, I lost my bursary. And I lost my bursary because on my application form, I wrote that I was South African. I did not say that I was white. And in my second year, somehow they realized that I was a white South African. And therefore, I was not, I was no longer, um, I was no longer privy to to the bursary I was given because I was not male and I was not and I was not um, I was not black, and I carried a huge chip on my shoulder for a very long time because I applied for seven other bursaries and they were all denied on the same principle, even though I came from a home that could not afford to put me through university. And at that point, I had to say, well, what am I going to do to make sure that I make enough money to firstly put my my siblings through school because they were both still at school and how am I going to be able to to do what I'm passionate about but still carry the weight of not being able to study being denied the privilege of education in a country I'm so passionate about and so that is something that I will always remember because you asked me if I will ever be a politician or if I would ever step into that realm. And I can't say no, because I know the power of politics and I know the power of being able to change policy. So one day, yes, perhaps I will stand up to that mantle. But right now, I have to do all that I can from where I am with what I have to change the status quo. And I believe that my journey, the destination may always be the same, but the journey changes. And we have to be we have to be lucid enough to change, to adapt, and and to be guided by what lies in front of us. Mm, interesting, interesting. The, uh, w- whenever I talk with South Africans, when or when I go to South Africa, I feel that race is still uh, is always there. <laughs> you know, we we the Portuguese. You know, uh, for us. Maybe other people don't agree with me, other colleagues here in Portugal, other Portuguese, but in general, race is not an issue in Portugal. We don't, because we started, you know, having relationships in Africa in the 1400s. And almost, you know, I was born in Africa and almost all families somehow have connections with Africa. I can tell you, my kids don't even differentiate black from white they can be talking about this colleague that is tall but they will not say okay the tall black girl you know they say the tall girl with curly hair but they will not it's like there's nothing there's there's no race but when i talk with south africans when i'm there i still feel there is so much weight put to race um i don't know how how to solve that because it's yeah unfortunately i think that south africa has not dealt with the racial pains that exist in our communities. I mentioned race in reference to my studies and university yes. because that was the only thing that held me back. But I, I pride myself in living in a home and bringing up a child where my child does not see color. Mm. Exactly what you said, yes. exact example of what your children, how they would describe somebody else. It is exactly the same thing in my home with my child, with younger generations. 
And I think that unfortunately in South Africa, we live in a time where currently the pain of our past still lives in our homes in the sense that there's a grandmother or grandfather, even a parent, that was a victim of apartheid. <laughs> they were discriminated against because of the color of their skin. And because of that pain, that pain lives in the home. That pain is passed down to generation to generation. It is still so raw. We mustn't forget that South Africa is a young democracy. Mm -hmm. We're only 25 years old. And that young democracy has a lot of work to do. We have a lot of history to deal with. Not only the apartheid regime that was a very dark and evil past in our country, but it is who we, where we have come from. And I think the most important thing we can do to deal with where we have, where we have come from is that we have to acknowledge that past. We have to, we have to confront it. And we also need to find a common vision for a future that includes all of us. A common vision where, as South Africans, we can be passionate and hold ourselves accountable to that future that we describe for ourselves. I think that we don't have a set of values that we hold ourselves mm, accountable to as a country and as a people. And I think that we have lost the moral fiber and compass of who we are and who we want to be as a South African. And as a South Africa, that for me is fundamental work that we need to do. So when I talk about that third sphere of work that talks so deeply to me, when I talk about citizenship and patriotism, I'm talking about how do we really build back a fiber of values and morals that lives in the core of every South African. So when we look to build a future, we are able to hold each other accountable to a set of values, not to a set of people, yes. to a kind of people. We have to not only make a better South Africa, but we have to ask ourselves, what kind of South Africans do we want to be? What do you want a South African to look like? I don't think it's what they should look like. I think it's what they should act like. What is the uh, model of a South African? My question is, what do you want... My question is, what do you want a South African to look like? You got it. I've lost her. Oh, I've, I've lost you. Okay. Now I can repeat the, what I was asking. Repeat is, the question. Yeah, repeat it there. Yeah. Yes, if you could just repeat that. Yeah. What, what I was... Mohamed, you can turn on your camera. It's not, okay. it's not related to you. Uh, my question is, what do you want a South African to look like? Okay, thank you. I think that a South African and the ultimate ideal of a South African is that we all aspire to building our country from where we are. That we respect each other outside of uh, tribal boundaries, outside of racial terms. I think that we... A South African who is passionate about building one South Africa for all is the ultimate place and space we need to work towards. I think that it's important that the fundamental basis of what the term Ubuntu means, where I am because of you, is really fundamental mm. to who we are as a people. South Africans are resilient. South Africans are a beautiful nation of diversity. What we have to understand, appreciate and admire is the fact that the beauty and strength of who we are is in our differences. 
We have to embrace those differences and understand that it is our strength, not our weakness. And it is only when we can understand that the beauty of who we are and how different we are as people, as, as different um, tribal uh, groupings that make us who we are, it is the beauty of that difference that is the strength that will move us forward. It is the foundation of who we become as a nation and as a people. But I think that as, as South Africans, we need to start understanding that we are one people. The, the preamble of our constitution says um, we are the Is it people. my phone? I think it's my and phone. It is in those three words that who we are as a nation lies. I think it was my phone that was ringing. <laughs> you, you've, you've hit the mute button, Catherine. You've hit the mute button. You're muted. Unmute. Yeah, okay. okay. Now you're unmuted. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. okay. So, so Catherine, I want to ask you this. Uh, what are the challenges right now in 2021? If I, uh, just for ourselves and our listeners, the major challenges in South Africa that you are working on. I think the major challenges that we're facing currently as a, as a country, ultimately, we have an economy that is not growing. We have an economy that is is fundamentally broken. Unfortunately, the economy was broken far long before COVID. I think COVID is a great excuse and a great opportunity for us to pin everything on COVID, on lockdown, etc. But South Africa has an, a, a huge challenge when it comes to growing our economy and growing an inclusive economy that really aims to thrive and to create jobs. Um, the fact that there is such a huge unemployment bubble in this country should be of great concern to every citizen. I think that the second great challenge that we face in South Africa is crime. Um, mm. The scourge against women and children in this country is something that is horrifying. It's something I don't like to talk about because it is really devastating when you look at the numbers and the figures, they're real. Uh, women are, are raped, murdered and abused on a daily basis in numbers that are absolutely frightful. Crime in general is a huge problem. Corruption in this country is something that we need to deal with. And unfortunately, as we've alluded to earlier, the hunger for power uh, is, is lined by corruption. So there are people in every corner and sphere who will find ways to, to really infiltrate a system in order to line their own pockets. We look at the billions of rands that were set aside for COVID relief, and they disappeared. Mm -hmm. They're not accounted for. We look at um, how procurement for the vaccine for COVID-19 is, is really being challenged. We, we set aside money and somehow we find a way to self-serve a few in, a, in an elite space in in an effort to really vaccinate the country and now we can't get vaccines, we haven't procured what we need and these are constant challenges. It's not about the vaccine, it's not about COVID, it's about corruption and accountability. The justice system needs to hold um, people to account and it needs to be more active and engaged. We cannot have that in this country, we have so many laws, we have a constitution to none, but it does not serve us. 
it looks incredible on paper it is powerful on paper but it doesn't really action anything on the ground it is not actually serving our people and in fact it holds us back because the constitution is so uh, liberal and and it has taken the best of the best from constitutions around the world and we then put that into a document for ourselves but what we didn't ask is if those things really relate to a country that is a developing nation on the tip of Africa where we have gone through the kinds of history we have gone through we did not put a constitution together that would serve us in building our country our people uh reconciling the the huge inequalities that exist the social divide that exists we took the best of the best from an entire globe and forgot that we needed to be at the center of that so i think that not only do we have economic challenges but we have huge social challenges that we need to face up to and in the year 2021 where we've come out of the back of a a year of really hard lockdown because for the last year we've had a, a much more intense lockdown than many other parts of the world we have further set back our economy and we have held a mirror up to the social injustices that we see across the country and those social injustices should scare us all into action and i fear that we are becoming more numb to what happens around us every single day instead of being forced into a gear that says how do we change this how do we make sure that as a business owner as an entrepreneur as an academic as a teacher as an engineer we all play our part in building the country and we need to start having that conversation at a grassroots level from where we are in our own spaces and we need to start holding ourselves accountable and then pointing at government we don't need to mm. worry about what government is doing we need yeah. to ask ourselves what are we doing in our own pockets mm-hmm. this is the famous uh, jfk uh, saying ask what you can do for your country don't ask what the government Absolutely. can do for you ask what you can do for your country is the fa- very famous jfk line 100%. People that want to support your activism, that want to support your action and your causes, what should they do? Contact me. <laughs> Contact me immediately. And <laughs> um, I would <laughs> I'm always looking for people who want to partner, who want to add value, who want to collaborate. I'm looking for philanthropists who really just believe in the work that I do and would want to support me. Those things are really important for me. So I would ask you to connect with me. My social media platforms um have direct contact to me so you can find me. Uh on Twitter, Instagram, my name is far too long and um Twitter also couldn't announce it Mohammed, so they just put <laughs> me they said I had to choose something much shorter, so I'm change agent SA and you can find me on on social media you can connect with me and i'm more than happy to have those conversations and i welcome those conversations because sometimes those conversations aren't just about you know people funding the work but people who are like minded who have a vision how do we build a better future not only for my own country but for the world that we live in how do we build a better society that is based on shared values that move us all forward and so i would welcome those conversations and ask people to connect with me via social media fantastic let's see if we the power of this podcast <laughs> <laughs>
Let's see if there yeah. is some impact there. I think <laughs> our, <laughs> absolutely. our listeners should uh, comment and send us uh, feedback. Our email addresses are there. All our links are there. And then if anyone wants any introductions to Catherine, we can help her with that. Um, but the best Catherine, way is to just, to just search Catherine Constantinidis or search ag uh, Change Agent SA, right? On, the, on, 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 on Twitter, for example, Twitter or Instagram, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they will find you directly. Catherine, Fantastic. I must Let's thank help. you for today. We really enjoyed the insight into a topic which Pedro and I uh, learned a lot about. And I hope to uh, have you as a guest in the future to get an update on what's happening. And Pedro, any closing comments from you? No. Let's meet when I'm in South Africa. That's all. <laughs> thank, thank you, Catherine. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Mohammed, thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity to chat to you guys. And thank you for the platform. And it was really a wonderful afternoon spent with both of you. Thank you so much. Huge pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Keep well. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.